0: At that time, you know, it was Cristiano Ronaldo and Leonardo DiCaprio that were both trying to convince her to be in L.A. or international as their arm candy. Leo would bring her back to L.A. and talk to her about movie roles. Cristiano would, you know, lure her in with travel and whatnot and going around. The thing with Sarah is that she had a very strong personality and also she had a very strong willpower. So she would constantly reject these guys, guys that would never be rejected by anybody. She was, it was very easy for her to reject them. And I always felt honored because every time that she would reject these people, she would end up back with me as my best friend. And she had all this world, you know, going on for her. Little did people know that we were like sleeping on the floor sometimes, sleeping in one bedroom apartments. They were, were going to these mansions, getting invited to all these amazing things. Her and I were struggling together and we just didn't want anyone to know. I was doing everything that I could in my power to get her career moving in the right direction, and she was just being misdirected by other people that were just super famous. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart.
1: Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of. Does not matter how badly you got beaten? Enough. Be kind. Be kind. Be kind.
0: Become a better person, a better leader, with a better business.
1: Go with your gut. I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. That was Eric Rossetti, world-renowned fashion designer, founder of the brand Mr. Triple X, and creator of Art Hearts Fashion. And he was recalling one of the most stressful moments of his career. As glamorous as the fashion industry appears with its runways, light shows, and models and stunning outfits, behind the scenes lies a different reality. From being rejected by sponsors to having all of his designs stolen hours before a show to watching a close friendship fray at the seams, Eric is a product of fashion's frenetic energy. Instead of allowing these challenges to stall his journey, he used them to accelerate it, turning accidents into opportunities and defeat into motivation. Despite being well-known within the fashion industry, Eric didn't always embrace the spotlight or himself. In fact, for the majority of his childhood, he was a closeted high schooler. Trying to fit into a world that didn't quite fit him. Beginning of high school, like who are you thinking you are and what is like occupying your time and your attention in terms of like what you're interested in? And when I went into high school, I had
0: no friends, no life because I had been pushed into a new school in a new city. So my freshman year in high school, I tried trying out for the football team because that's kind of what everyone expects for you to do my first day i ended up throwing up because they overworked me and then everyone started calling me a cheerleader so the only other elective that was available was band, where you wouldn't have to shower with other boys so as an lgbt character i uh, was uncomfortable showering around other boys not because i was uncomfortable with myself but because i felt a disconnect from showering with other men when i'm attracted to men so that kind of became a little Problem, but I joined band in an effort to hide from everyone.
1: You initially joined the football team because that's mm-hmm. what was, was cool, what what you quo. were supposed to do, right? Yeah. Um, and then band is, I, I I would, I think a lot of people would say, it was would be the opposite the, the of the that.
0: Leftovers, yeah, the and leftovers, and, and I just didn't feel like I fed fit, fit in anywhere.
1: Did you feel like you fit in in band?
0: No, I just needed somewhere to hide. I kind of just felt out of place anywhere. And so the band was one of those things where like during lunch and during P.E. or whatever, I can just hide in the band room. I can't see that I was popular amongst the band members. Why did you feel the need to hide? A lot of it was in my own head. I think I think that when I started off and I was called a cheerleader, I think that that just kind of traumatized me a little bit. And I carried that with me the whole my whole high school experience. The upperclassmen took me on. So like my freshman year, I made friends with all juniors and seniors and they sort of adopted me in the process, which was great. But then in 1994, the North Jersey happened. My high school collapsed. So I was in my room, and the North Jersey happened in the middle of the night. A TV fell on my head and knocked me out. But when that happened, I woke up to a completely different life. I had no school. I had no friends. I had nothing. I had my family and our garage because at that time they had instructed everyone to sleep in their garages because it was the safest place of the house. And we spent the whole semester, which should have been in high school, in a garage. It took uh, about six months for the school to get put back in like um, trailers. And when we came back, everything changed, everything changed completely. So I spent my freshman and sophomore year spending all of my time alone because all of my friends got detached from me because of
1: the earthquake. So did you feel like you had a place to go? Where did you put the energy that you obviously had?
0: The energy that I placed was in my own head because I would spend lunchtime hiding behind trees so that I wouldn't have to deal with having to find out who my friends were. Why
1: was the move to hide?
0: Uh, me growing up being a LGBT Latino in the closet, uh, scared of what my family would think. I kind of hid that and carried that over into my high school experience because I spent the whole time hiding from who I was and being insecure about what people thought about me. And again, I spent a lot of time daydreaming and that's kind of led me to where I'm at now.
1: With the daydreaming, I mean, there's a couple of things you did focus on, right? There was band.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I wanted to excel at what I could, but I was never capable of learning how to read music. So I would use my peripheral vision to see what everyone else was doing on the trombone. So I'd use my sight line to see what position they were moving their horns out to, and I would copy them and I would memorize that in my head so that anytime they would place music in front of me, people would think that I knew what I was doing. But all I was doing was using my peripheral vision to, to move the trombone to the proper place. And uh, I ended up doing Pierce College as one of their main basis and bonus. The same thing, I was doing it all through peripheral vision instead of reading the paper in front of me because I couldn't read it. My mind just wouldn't connect with it. Same with books. I've never been able to finish a book. I've never been able to get past the first page. Because you're more of like a visual thinker, like you see things and yeah. like in, in maybe in pictures more. Yeah. Pictures,
1: signs, symbols, phonetics. Tell me about how you continued in band because, like, you didn't stop just, uh, you know, looking at over at the, using your peripheral vision at the other trombone players. Like, you actually gained status within this band. By the time I was
0: a senior in high school, I had auditioned to be the drum major of the band, which is the leader. They selected a girl, and I was really disappointed in them because I tried so hard to to be a part of it, but I felt that um, I deserved to be the drum major of the band two weeks before my senior year started, they called me and they said, hey, congratulations, you're now the drum major of the band. well why it turns out that the one that they had selected got pregnant right before high school and when you're going to a catholic school that's a big no-no big no-no so they just made her disappear and then they made me the drum major the funny part is is that uh my band had been the last place of every competition they were kind of like the worst not because they were bad but because in private schools the funding for things like that are very small and very tight they focus most of their funds on football and cheerleading not on the extracurricular activities. And so what happened was I took the band, I made friends with the homecoming queen and I turned the event into a big, giant, spectacular like extravaganza. So the runway shows that we did actually turned into me conducting a show we Ooh,
1: you did runway shows in well, high school
0: i now use that term for performances just because it's all in, in envisioned in my brain or imprinted printed in my brain actually but i use that word to like i did big giant events where i would conduct the entire band and they would do uh you know halftime shows i guess you can say but they were still runway shows because it was a runway in a different way but what ended up happening was i made friends with all of the sophomores and juniors when i was a senior. And the homecoming queen was one of them. Her name was Erica. And I turned her into Pocahontas, the uh, main film that had been the number one on Disney and whatnot. And so we decided to make that the theme to the show. So what I did was I found the most popular kids in school. And then I went to Mexico and I bought a bunch of smoke bombs. And so I figured if the band sucked, at least we can cover everyone with colored smoke and trick them into thinking we were the best. And we ended up winning the Granada Hills High School band competition. But it's kind of one of those funny, like ironic situations where that year our school decided to try three different competitions on the same day. And we did the Granada High School competition and we won without knowing because we had to leave to another competition on the same day. And that competition was with bigger schools and bigger fields and we lost everything. So when we left, I was super disappointed in our performance. Not to know that we had won, the main one, that we had always wanted to win.
1: So even though the event was great, even though you won, it didn't feel like it was a calling necessarily. It kind
0: of felt like an ironic story for the rest of my life where like I'll always achieve something great, but always have something else distracting me from being able to appreciate the great things that
1: I've done. So I wanna move past high school. You decide to study radio, television, and film production at Northridge University. What was that like?
0: RTVF was my actual experience of the human world because in high school, again, I, I spent my time hiding during lunch and not having very many friends. And every time I would have friends, whether an earthquake happened and eliminated my friends, or my senior year, I made friends with all those public school kids that were sophomores and juniors. I never really felt my place in my place. So leading up to that now, it kind of created a different a different experience altogether. And with RTBF thing, I was kind of looking to um, put things together, whether it be directing, documenting, or creating. In that process, um, I was contacted by a group of people that wanted me to host an extreme sports television show. Really, why? Um, I have no idea.
1: Okay, there must be a, there must have been something that you were putting out in world that attracted that. All right, well th- those days were the days of AOL
0: chat, which many people don't understand what that is. But there was chat rooms involved, and you had to do dial up internet, and you know go through the whole the whole thing three dollars a minute. But there was chat rooms, and I was pretty popular in those chat rooms. I was like the OG like Twitter star, uh, Instagram star, like TikTok star, like back in the day. You were the AOL. Star. I, I was cute punk LA, and I was a little bitch. And I would just say what I wanted to say, and I would say nasty things, best, like good things, and it, I created a following for myself in that process. And so someone found me and said, hey, I heard you're, you're, you're uh, good in the public, and I want you to host an extreme sports television show. And I got contacted by a manager saying, hey, I heard you're, you're interviewing skaters. I want you to interview my client. And so I did, and that client was not a skater, it was a figure skater. My first interview was with a, a guy named Timothy Gable, who is a U.S. Olympic figure skater.
1: Here are the men's figure skating medals. Yagudin the gold, Plashenko the silver, and Timothy Gable gets the bronze for the United States. You're 14 years old and starting to learn the quad. Did you ever dream that the day would be like this at this point in your life? No way. I mean, I, I always people always talk about how they dream about the Olympics, but to actually get here and
0: have it be a reality and... There was a certain miscommunication there as to what type of people know, we were interviewing, but, um, we met, we vibed. It was really cool. And we became friends at that point. He started, uh, getting me access to, uh, all of the U S figure skating team along with, um, traveling with them. So for three years, um, I was flowing around the world with the U S figure skating team and hanging out with all of them culminating at the Salt Lake city Olympics.
1: What was it like being surrounded by a bunch of very athletic figure skaters?
0: Um, I felt like a groupie, but (laughs) I, I, I was also like the cool kid because I was outside of their bubble. You know, people don't understand that. Like when you're an athletic bubble, you're only really like within that world because all of your time is spent in that world. So as an as an outsider, I was kind of welcomed because it was refreshing for them to see people that were outside of their world. And I just didn't come alone. I invited a whole tour group with me. So I had all my friends come around all over the world with us and we like had fun being like the super groupies for the US Olympic figure skating team. Let's just say every straight boys dream would be to to go around with a football team. Mine was secretly to go around with a figure skating team. I mean, I wouldn't say that, but I would watch it. So it's kind of like my version of like the teen dream to get to go with an athletic team and tour with them. And it was very easy and organic and natural. Everyone was amazing. I was there sneaking into hotel rooms, watching all the debauchery, watching all the good stuff, the bad stuff, the crazy stuff. And they didn't treat me like an
1: outsider, they actually accepted me. Yeah, and it seems like, I mean, you talked about hiding for, for so much uh, of your life and this seems like finding a community where you maybe don't have to hide.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I related to them in a certain way um, and it was just comfortable for me. As I grew into myself, I realized that all these insecurities were in my own head. I shouldn't have been spending that time alone during lunch and, you know, hating my, not hating myself, I just didn't feel my place in school. And so, um. And you think Tim showed you how to, like, love that part of yourself again? I think he introduced me to a world where I started fresh, and he introduced me as a great person that was hosting a TV show that was involved in this. He edified me very well, and he um, accepted me with open arms. After my figure skating days as a groupie, I decided to get into real estate. And during that time, I met a girl named Sarah Mutch. Sarah was the most beautiful girl in the world. I saw her at a club. She was 19 at the time. And I just had to tell her how beautiful she was because she was like my Barbie. She was like a dream. And so um, part of my defense mechanism and my wall is that to take someone that's so beautiful that people would be scared of and afraid of and put them in front of me as the wall. So I became her, her best friend, manager and supporter. When you say the wall, what do you mean? Um, it's easier to hide beside, behind someone than to uh, deal with a lot of personal problems, or it's easier to focus your attention
1: on someone else sometimes. And you want, like, you didn't maybe have enough confidence in yourself to propel to whatever dream you had. So maybe you could do it for someone else. Absolutely.
0: I knew it was best for her. Uh, she's She was my best friend for several years.
1: Yeah, and so can you tell me what you actually did
0: for her? Yeah, so I thought and I knew that she was the most beautiful girl in the world. And so I spent a lot of time convincing her that she should be in New York, modeling and enjoying the time, utilizing her skills. She very, very, very talented girl. A model is someone that knows how to engage with the camera, that knows how to communicate using their body, and knows how to utilize their mannerisms to create a good story when they're when they're posing and whatnot.
1: And you felt like she was good at that.
0: She was the number one. She should have been the the biggest supermodel in the world, but she was so preoccupied with not wanting to model because she felt that it was very superficial. And so I wanted to basically take her to the next level because I felt that she was stuck. I felt that there was a lot of guys giving her false information in order to string her along and... Take
1: advantage of her.
0: Yeah, and I knew in my heart that she would have been a great model. I wouldn't say I forced her to move to New York, but things happened. My father passed away. I ran into a small little inheritance that I utilized to invest in her. At the time, maybe I was hiding from a lot of my own problems. Invest in her, that's,
1: I mean... That's big. That's a big deal.
0: Of course, yeah. I mean, you know, I saw, I saw that she was stuck in this world, um, and I wanted to help her. Well, I never got to come out to my mother when I was thirty-three. She, she, uh, she discovered me and asked me if I was gay, and I said, uh, not in practice, but yeah, I've never had a partner. I've never had a boyfriend. Do you want that? The only thing that I want in this world is to have a partner. But I feel that like the world is so screwed up right now with fast fashion and instant gratification of everything that I would be insecure about finding someone and then being them being able to find someone better
1: with a swipe. I can understand why Eric felt so passionately about investing in his friend like him, Sarah didn't seem to know her place in the world. Neither did she seem to recognize her own potential as both a model and a person. Having lived most of his life feeling unsure of who he is, Eric, of all people, would have understood what Sarah was going through, and he wanted to help. But in doing so, he was once again veering back into his tendency to hide himself. Except this time, he wasn't hiding behind a tree or within a crowd. He was hiding behind someone else's status. It was the same coping mechanism he used as a teen, just on a larger scale with higher stakes. After all, he was betting his time, energy, and even his inheritance on our success. But as we'll come to see, you could only hide behind someone for so long before they step away. Can you tell what IMG is? Because like, it's a big deal, but I don't think a lot of people know what it is. So IMG is the number one modeling
0: agency in the world. Actually the number one, everything in the world. They do all the sports. They own the US Open and they own every other athletic event. So they're the biggest uh, agency in the world. And so IMG, when we had gone to New York, was the number one. So we started off there. And when I came there, I pitched her so well that they've called us the following day. And not only did they offer her a contract, but they offered me a contract and they wanted me to work as a manager there.
1: Wait, but you're not even expecting this at this point, you're like, wait, wait, what?
0: Yeah, I was a real estate agent trying to help my friend. And so when I went there, we went to three different agencies, but within 24 hours, they had contacted us and said, nope, we're signing her and we're signing you. What did that feel like? It felt gratifying, but it kind of like made me want to amplify myself more and do everything that I could to make her life better. And uh, I was just grateful. I was really grateful for the opportunity because without her, I wouldn't have signed with IMG. And I just wanted to kind of create the collaboration between her and I and take it to the next level together. Unfortunately, that's not what our cards had in the, you know, what happened? Well, When you're a really pretty girl, you're courted by really amazing people. And at that time, you know, it was Cristiano Ronaldo and Leonardo DiCaprio that were both trying to convince her to be in LA or international as their, you know, arm candy. Uh, Leo would, you know, bring her back to LA and talk to her about movie roles. Cristiano would, you know, lure her in with travel and whatnot and going around. The thing with Sarah is that she had a very strong personality and also she had very strong willpower. so she would constantly reject these guys guys that would never be rejected by anybody she was very, it was very easy for her to reject them. and I always felt honored because every time that she would reject these people she would end up back with me as my best friend and she had all this world you know going on for her that I just loved. I always felt honored to be her friend.
1: But she was being courted by these famous actors that maybe pushed her in a different direction than the direction that you were helping her achieve. So when does it come to a head when, you know, maybe there's a confrontation?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, towards towards the end of our friendship, unfortunately, I was doing everything that I could in my power to get her career motivated and moving in the right direction. And she was just being misdirected by other people that were just super famous.
1: You have to admit like that's that's very attractive and, of and course. like you know there, there's a magnetic pull to that it's, it's hard. You have such validation from people who have been validated by the world. and so who are the people that you knew? It's hard to be loyal.
0: I felt broken to tell you the truth. When I left, I felt defeated. I had pushed her. I pushed her to the to the edge because I, I had too many expectations of her. Anytime that I'd book her on anything, she'd cancel or she'd miss it or she'd just put me in a bad position. Not because she was doing anything against me, but she was doing what she thought was best for her. And what was best for her was to be socializing and networking with these people that were in this other world. At the time, she started dating Benji Madden and they instructed her to not speak to, any, to me anymore after years of being her best friend because I had um, been very passionate about how upset I was about the outcome of our New York experience. And unfortunately, it got put in the hands of attorneys. Ironically enough, we lived in Attorney Street. Your best friend in the hands of lawyers. Very powerful lawyers. And I was on my own. I didn't have any lawyers. So yeah, I mean, it kind of just ended where the court case fizzled out. I had tried to get someone, recuperate some of my money back. We didn't figure it out. I just kind of walked away. I went back to LA defeated and wanted to get back into real estate.
1: There, there's, there's maybe so much of yourself. That you attribute to this other person and then when you step away from it you're still yourself you still have all these lessons that you've learned but you've learned them from this person you're you're grateful but like bitter in the same moment and it's like
0: i'm more upset at myself i can't say that i'm bitter at her because i was just amplifying my own disappointment in myself with her and at the same time it's just like she chose her own path and i can't get mad about that when we when we parted ways i probably spent a year living at my mom's house, not crying in bed. I don't ever want to give her that, but it was a very hard year. And um, it wasn't until, back to the figure skating, it wasn't until Michael Kaluva, who was a figure skater that followed me when I was the super groupie of the US figure. He was a little <laughs> kid looking up to me, cause he's like, who's this guy that's traveling with all the superstars? And um, I get a phone call out of nowhere from a guy named Michael Kaluva saying, hey, I want you to come to my fashion show. And at the time, that's like, what is a fashion show in LA? There's, <laughs> there's no fashion shows in LA. There was yeah, not. Yeah, you think
1: of New York. New York is the place that all the fashion shows happen. Or Paris, like LA, what is that?
0: So it was funny because I was like, let me go see what it is. And so I went to it. And this was like in 2010, 2009, 2010. And it was all at Sunset Gower Studios. And so uh, I went to that. And I sat there and I brought my friend with me and we watched the shows. And I was like, okay, this is kind of basic. But... Afterwards, he's like, I didn't just invite you here to be my guest. I have a hidden agenda. He's like, I want you to manage me. And I go, well, I've never managed a designer before. And then he goes, well, I know that you've been managing models in New York with IMG. So just take that formula and move it into designing or into managing designers. So I agreed to it. I thought, let's have some fun. After Sarah and I had stopped speaking, I was kind of depressed and alone. And um, I get a phone call from a guy named Michael Kaluva saying, I want you to come to my fashion show in L.A. And so I went to it. And this was like in 2010. Afterwards, he's like, I didn't just invite you here to be my guest. I have a hidden agenda. I want you to manage me. And I go, well, I've never managed a designer before. And then he goes, well, I know that you've been managing models in New York with IMG. So just take that formula and move it into managing designers. I agreed to it. I thought, let's have some fun. The first thing that I told him was like, well, if you're going to do this, we got to go to New York. And so he had his fashion show in New York and all of the pieces of the puzzle started to fall into place very naturally. And within the first week, we got called by Ubisoft. And so they decided to sponsor the show. And so as a result of that, they're like, would you guys be OK with having um, Alex Morgan, Kendall Jenner and uh, Entertainment Tonight involved? We're like, oh, uh, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. Those are huge names. Huge names. At the time, Kendall Jenner was either 14 or 15. She had never modeled before. She was just a reality show star. And this was kind of like her her break into fashion.
1: What were you thinking in that moment where it was like these big, you know, celebrities and, and companies are coming to you?
0: I kind of felt that it wasn't real. <laughs> but I just focused my efforts on making it really great. As a result of that, his brand started to grow. And um, I got him a meeting with CAA.
1: Creative Arts. Association. Yeah.
0: I went with him. And because I was not insecure, but like I wanted it to be all about him. I said, hey, I'll wait for you in the lobby. I want you to make it all about you. You sell yourself. Because every other meeting we had gone to, I was edifying and pitching him. But I thought this was his moment to speak for himself. Well, that night he breaks the news to me that they signed him and that they didn't they didn't want him working with any any other management. After I had spent three years of my life working <laughs> for free to build this guy's career.
1: You put all of this time, energy, and sweat, blood, and tears into this. And then once again, it's like kick to the curb.
0: Yeah. But it's okay. I mean, they're all learning experiences. The people that had lent their time and volunteered their time many of the times to help support him never had their own voices, never had their own ability to to show because a show for a designer is about $150,000 per every 10 minutes. And I realized at that point that this is an impossible dream for most people. The first event that I did under the title Art Hearts Fashion was a result from me producing so many shows for other people with different names um, and turn it into my own event. I celebrated all the designers that I had met working with Michael Kaluva and the people on this journey, including Michael. He showed some pieces too, but it was mostly about the fashion photographers, the accessory designers, the performers, the models. So, Art Hearts Fashion became my way of celebrating as many of them as possible and offsetting the costs by turning it into an event or cost sharing with all of them. We did the first Art Hearts Fashion. It became the most successful event that 333 Live had had all year. The owner, sold me. He's like, I know what you are and you are a once in a lifetime thing. So if you don't have your event in a month from now, people will forget about you. He's like, I know, a, I know a hit when I know a hit and you're a hit. And he goes, you need to do it again in a month. A month. So I was like, okay. So I go home and scramble. I was like, oh damn, I already used all the designers and photographers that I met managing Michael Kaluva. I have no one left. And so I started to make a bunch of calls, but no one would bite because they're like, we don't know who you are. We don't know what's arts hearts. Like people couldn't even pronounce art hearts fashion. And so I had no direction for the second one. I just got thrown into it. Two weeks go by and I had two weeks left and I had not gotten any designer to confirm. And so I, uh, I developed Mr. Triple X, my own brand, but I didn't name it after myself because I was I was scared that it would fail. A lot of different celebrities showed up, uh, including like uh, Perez Hilton, and some other people. They showed up to this event to see this Mr. Triple X Summer of Love edition, no one knowing what it was. By the time 2011 comes about, I had created this event that became very successful. And outside of those two events at 333 Live, it got into the point where it was actually ready for the next step. I contacted the vice president of IMG, Sharon Chong, and she actually helped me um, and connected me with the people that were doing Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week New York. When I had pitched it to her, I said, hey, I'm doing this really cool, fun charity event that supports a lot of emerging artists and it's all about the art and fashion and it's doing it for a great cause. And so when I contacted the, the team over at IMG and I said, hey, I'm producing this great event. I've been with you guys as a manager for you know several years and I'm bringing this event to New York. Do you guys have any space for me to be able to produce my event? That year, the Super Bowl came to uh, New York City and a lot of the shows got canceled because sponsors either dropped out or they moved their sponsorships over to the Super Bowl. Next thing you know, they gave me the finale spot of Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week at the Lincoln Center in the biggest venue. Not because it was, a, I guess, an honor, but because no one wanted the closing spot because everyone had to go to the next city. And so I took it. And the funny thing is, is that my first year ever doing it in New York ended up being the biggest show of New York Fashion Week ever, not by my popularity, but by default, because a big blizzard came into town. The blizzard kept everyone from going from the first two shows, but everyone wanted to do something. So they all came to mine. So I had 3000 people to mine and it became the biggest event of New York Fashion Week, our first time around.
1: What did that feel like?
0: Uh, let's just say that I was in shock, but I was kind of like, oh no, now I have to deal with this for the rest of my life. Now you're like,
1: like, this is the universe saying, this is what you should do.
0: Yeah. I didn't even start in the middle. I just went straight to the top. And that was the crazy part that I went Ralph Lauren, Calvin Klein, and then Art Hearts Fashion.
1: You've been the shadow for so long and now you're in the spotlight. Did that feel weird for you? Uh, I'm still a shadow. I still like to hide behind the curtain. Eric has always been more of a behind the scenes guy, shining through others rather than hogging the spotlight himself. This knack for amplifying others' voices and staying tuned to other people's needs is actually, I think, one of the things that makes him so unique. Rather than conform to the image of the overbearing boss, loud and calling the shots, he forged his own interpretation of what it means to be a strong leader. Though hiding behind the curtain had started out as a setback in high school, it has since evolved to become one of Eric's most distinguishing traits as a manager. And it all started with recognizing his desire to operate from the shadows and use this management style as an opportunity to elevate those around him. Eric's story shows that the key to embracing yourself begins by seeing your flaws from a different angle. Instead of thinking, I'm too reserved or too scatterbrained, try looking at it in a different way. Maybe you're reserved because you take the time to think of a thoughtful response. Maybe you're scatterbrained because you think of one of a kind ideas. Growth doesn't begin with erasing all your imperfections, It begins by changing your perspective and harnessing your idiosyncrasies.
0: Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week, once they folded from New York in about 2013, I believe, or 14, we had been the, decided to be the finale of Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week, Miami Swim Week. So they call me two weeks before to tell me, hey, bad news, Mercedes-Benz is no longer gonna produce any shows for Fashion Week and you're on your own. I had to scramble within two weeks and create my own event. And as God would have it, I created Miami Swim Week, which is miamiswimweek.com. And all the the domain names and everything just so happened to be available for me, which is weird. But it all fell into my lap. I was forced to do it on my own. But it also made me create my own platform larger and larger and larger. We went from a one-day event to a three-day event to a five-day event. Now we're at a six-day event. So I was able to take that and turn it into the longest lasting fashion event in Miami for Miami Swim Week. So all these accidents forced me to take the lead and create my own event and make it my own. And so how does that lead to losing your luggage? There's been several companies along the way that I've tried to buy my company, uh, luring me in with toys or candy or, or, you know, a lot of little things. I've been bought a G-Wagon before. I've been bought Rolexes before. I've been bought a lot of things before and I've always rejected them. It's always been people that are either competing with me or want to buy me. In New York, uh, my luggage got stolen uh, twice. It disappeared. And I was forced to put together a show with nothing. I had a couple jackets in my bag and a couple things that were old. So uh, it's funny, everyone always laughs at me, but I think it was TJ Maxx or Marshalls at like the 11th hour. I went into the clearance rack and got all the black stuff on the rack. I went and chopped it up that night and put safety pins and created it and turned it into my own and pulled off a show. Mind you, I hated myself for it, but everyone in the audience was like, wow, this is your best show ever. And I was just laughing my ass off the whole time because it was just hilarious. That being said, every time I've said no to someone wanting to buy my company, uh, whether it be purposely or accidentally, something really bad has happened to my platform. So in Miami, after I had rejected this group of people that wanted to buy my company, all of a sudden, all of the power and all of the generators in the whole part of town that we were in blew up. So all the manholes around my venue, the Fayana Forum, ended up flying in the air with fire coming out, everything turned off. And it's so humid in Miami that all of our floors got so wet and moist that everyone started falling and tripping and like it created a massive liability. I couldn't find a designer to be our headliner that night. I had put surprise presentation. So as God would have it, or the universe, after the power blew out, I told everyone to go outside because we had no power in the venue. I announced to everyone surprise, the surprises that we're moving fashion week to this amazing mansion. And Bill Dean has the biggest mansion in all of Florida. We do private VIP events there for about 100 people, 150 people. But this time around, I called them and I'm like, hey, I need your help. I'm gonna bring a couple hundred people there. He's like, how many? I was like, 300. Uh, he flipped out a little bit, but he's such a cool guy that he allowed me to do it. Mind you, we showed up with about 700 people. I contacted every limo company in Miami, all the shuttle buses and everyone else. And I got all my team to contact Ubers. So I said, surprise, we're taking everyone to the mansion and we're gonna get private cars to take everyone. And so it cost me a lot of money to do, but we did it. We pulled it off.
1: And you pulled this together last minute- On because the Because literally like the, the manholes were blowing up and the power was going out.
0: It was crazy. It was like out of a movie, yeah. But you know, the way I correlate things, it's kind of like, well, it blew up because I didn't sell and now I figured it out. Let's just talk about synchronicity, I guess you can say, and how a life has these paths for us. And my path has been very defined by people, the characters and the symbolism that surrounded me. And so my superpower is pattern recognition. And that pattern recognition has lent itself to me finding myself here, which is a platform that supports so many designers, tells so many stories. And it's really amazing because I was never into fashion. I actually hated fashion i thought it was silly i would wear black shirts i would wear you know joggers i just to me fashion was just a perception and something that was superficial and something that didn't matter until i actually got involved with fashion i started to realize that it was a way for people to identify themselves it wasn't about anything other than how it makes you feel and so my brand itself mr triple x I started to see how it made people feel and it made them feel sexy. It wasn't a perverted brand. It wasn't, you know, I didn't show anything weird. It was very PG, but because of the name, it made people feel a little extra special, a little extra sexy. And it just kind of, it just gave them a little bit more of a hop in their step. And that's basically one of the joys of being a designer. Unfortunately, over the last couple of years, I've lost myself in the overall process of Fashion Week that I haven't been able to focus on myself, or on my brand because I'm the father of a platform that supports all the designers and all the artists and everyone that, that can tell their stories. So I'm working on a documentary with Sam Asghari, who is Britney Spears' fiance. And he's the character in the, in the show. We filmed it during the pandemic. Sam and his sister Faye, they'll be walking in my show. And Sam's the main character in my story. And it's about him playing my alter ego and us following him down the rabbit hole.
1: Where do you think Art Heart's fashion is today? and what is your role within it?
0: Our Hearts Fashion has developed itself into like this great, amazing platform that supports so many designers. I attribute myself to creating it, but now I attribute all the designers and their creativeness to making it what it is because they're way more talented than I am. They have way stronger stories to tell. And I think as a collective, we're all telling one big story. It's about all the pieces of the puzzle that make up one big picture. So the story that I'm working on, the documentary about Sam opening the doors is really about Mr. Triple X opening doors to different realities. And so like brands from India, they're the taste in their clothing. Brands from Dubai, brands from the Middle East, brands from Netherlands, brands from Europe, brands from South America, they all have a flavor of their culture and it's a way for them to tell their stories. When I have a designer showing colorful things from India or crazy pieces from the Middle East or things from China, I am honored to be in their presence because these are parts of a story that's bigger than me, bigger than all of us, because they're telling their story through a platform that combines all the stories into one. It's part of that pattern recognition.
1: What advice would you give, you know, the 22 year old you, 24 year old you, like that maybe would help you achieve what you have achieved now uh, with a little bit less stress, a little bit more efficiency? I would tell them a
0: story about a taxi driver and on my way home from New York Fashion Week just last month. So I had felt a little bit defeated when I was leaving New York. It was the biggest event that we had ever had. We had over 2,000 people every single night. I just felt that I was lost in the whole process because I didn't get to develop a collection for myself. I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. I haven't had a partner in, in my entire life. And I was really disappointed in myself because I didn't focus on my brand and I I focused more on the event and on everyone else. So when I returned from New York to L.A. last month, I hopped into a taxi cab at four in the morning after all my flights had been delayed or canceled or moved forward. This lovely lady picked me up, older lady, probably like 80 years old, starts helping with my bags. And she's like, how is someone like you carrying four big bags by themselves? And I go, well, I was producing an event for New York Fashion Week. I didn't tell her what I did. And she goes, I was at the Couturier, blah, 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 in Paris, France in my 20s. And I learned how to study couture. And I spent all my years developing samples for Barneys and for all like the boutique couture stores. And back then in the 80s, they would hire her to make custom pieces for people. She lost her spirit in it because at that point, Marciano by guests, The Gap, all of these different stores, fast fashion in their generation, took over and killed it for people that were utilizing the art of fashion, because back then it was all about, you would go to tailors, you would get everything made for you. And so her whole thing was that she would make individual pieces for celebrities and whatnot. And as these big department stores started to come in, she lost her spirit. Needless to say, we were driving home and she starts just like getting really deep into things. So when we are pulling up to my parents' gated community, we're stuck at the gate and then she's like, show me your stuff. And I was just like, okay. And we just basically, I started showing my stuff on Instagram and we didn't even bother trying to get in anymore. We were stuck at the gate and we spent 20 minutes just going back and forth with pictures. And this by that point it was almost five in the morning. And I was just showing her the stuff that I had done. She lit up and you know, she's like, let's take you home. Takes me to my door, takes my stuff out with me, helps me with these heavy, heavy bags. Mind you, this is an 80 year old lady that should not have been helping me with any bags. I forgot my keys, so I had to wake up my parents. My mom comes and opens the door. This lady starts bawling, crying, crying like I've never seen anyone cry before. Hugs my mom and says, you are blessed. You need to protect him because he needs your protection. Then she looks at me and says, you need to focus on the now because if not, you're going to end up 80 years old and a cab driver. And she just started bawling, crying. And then I started bawling, crying. And I hugged her and she goes, you don't want to look back on this moment and regret what you didn't do. Focus on what you can do. That was my big wake-up call. Because ever since then, I will attribute everything to this moment. I can see like why that would be such a life-changing moment for you. It made me really want to focus.
1: Focus on what?
0: Myself. I haven't been happy. Again, I've never had a partner. I've never had a relationship. It's hard to trust people in this industry. Everyone that I've ever had working with me for the most part, the ones that have tried to screw me over have disappeared. And the small group that I have now, it's a small group of people that I trust. I do need to learn to let go and to grow. You do need to let go of certain things to grow so that you're not confined or stuck in your own head because the world exists outside of our own head. And sometimes when we're getting too stuck in our own head, we're debilitating ourselves. And I think that that's where I've been for the last couple of years because I've been so focused on everyone else that I've lost myself. So I want to utilize this platform to tell my story. That's something that I've forgotten. I created a platform for everyone to tell their story. And I've been so focused on making sure that everyone's story is told that I forgot about my own. I I will credit her for that. It made me open my eyes to realize that now is the time for me to tell my story as well so that it doesn't get lost in translation.
1: For most of his life, Eric hid in the shadows he blended into the marching band, waited on the sidelines of ice rinks and worked behind the stage. His talent for amplifying others opened doors for people who were strangers to the spotlight, but still deserved validation. His gift for pattern recognition allowed him to see fashion as a global story that represents cultures as much as it represents an individual's identity. For so long, Eric has focused on telling other people's stories that he's forgotten to tell perhaps what is the most important story of all, his own. Speaking with the taxi driver that fateful night was like looking into a mirror and seeing himself afresh. How long was he going to wait until he finally began to invest in himself? Another five years, 10, 20? The taxi driver's story put a new idea in Eric's head. Why not today? Yes, why wait? Though we've reached the end of Eric's story for now, I have a feeling that what we're really witnessing is a new beginning, the debut of a new era. Eric's long awaited exit behind the curtains and maybe into the spotlight. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our Chief of Staff and Operations is Jessica Lynn. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia, with support from Irene Van Berkel, Matt Fernandez,
0: Renee B. Cannon, Sophia Donner, David Saidi, Ashley Jimenez, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereux, Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong, with support from
1: Sarah Hobson, Cherise Tan,
0: Harushi Kanauchi,
1: Kristen Hagelin, Aya Cortez, and Valencia Lu. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen with support from Aiden Ashworth,
0: Nikki Mukawa,
1: Sylvie Wong, and Eric Menna. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand with support from Tiffany Dang, Yao Lil, and Dina Gabriel. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.com. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.